Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for another in-betweener episode. I'm Alex. And it's Ben. And this is Blixa. And we are coming to you with a one-shot thing. I think it's like a short film. Uh, today we're going to be covering Cat Soup. Is that right? Yep. Also known as Neko Jiru So. Um, and today we have a fabulous new guest with us. Please welcome to the show, Lily. Hello. So you're you're big anime buff, right? Are you are you entrenched into the the medium? Uh, you, as much as I can be, yes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, do you have any favorites? Anything you would tell someone they have to see, or anything that was formative to you? Um, so my current one that I'm like on a kick for is uh, March Comes In Like a Lion. Uh, it's a anime about depression. Oh, okay. And it covers it through a young 17, 16 or 17 year old shogi player. What is shogi? It is a game similar to chess, but it's only really popular in Japan. Is it with a, uh, it doesn't have 3D pieces? Like yeah, the pieces it's their tiles? Two tiles. And, yes. Okay. Okay. They're like the, not quite a pyramid shape, but. So this feels like the third time March comes in like a lion has been brought up on the show. Yeah, probably. It sounded like a familiar name. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I started at one point, but maybe I'm getting confused. Is there also like someone who plays like a stringed instrument or something like that? No, that you're thinking. What am you're I thinking, thinking of, of um, uh, your lion, April. Oh, okay, mm. <laughs> getting the months different confused. kind of lion. <laughs> yes. Well, what's funny about it is they have very, very similar art styles. Yeah. But they are very different. Um, <laughs> your lion, April, is very good, but it yeah. is a uh, romance anime i think i saw netflix uh recommend that one to me so i said no you will not put <laughs> things into my eyeballs it's very good yeah just prepare yourself <laughs> steal yourself because uh okay. it gets rough well i love that i, I want an anime, anime to destroy me That's oh it's cool, cool. It, it can do that your line <laughs> okay. april can do that awesome well i my only experience with shogi is um is a phone app. I think if I remember, maybe chess started in India or something like that. And so maybe it what? changed as it migrated. East yeah. yeah, probably. It's not European? Yeah, there's like a primordial chess that we talked about once on the show. Oh, my God. Okay, cool. Any news? Any updates? I'm playing Elden Ring. It's awesome. I am not doing an intelligence dex build because I don't go online to just figure out what everybody else is playing. Uh, but it is a great game so far. Uh, the uh, interwebs has exploded. I have not played Elden Ring, but uh, almost everybody I know is playing it. Everyone's going to be talking about it. Cultural touchstone. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it when I was in like five, a call with like four or five friends, and all of them are streaming Elden Ring to me. And, <laughs> and uh, so I, I got to, I've, I've consumed a lot of Elden Ring content. Yeah, it's pretty, right? It's a very pretty game. I, I enjoy certain aspects of it. I'm just not very good. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of muscle memory and a lot of frustration. I just beat a boss after dying to it for an hour. <gasps> yeah, uh, it's like any Dark Souls game, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, any updates for anybody? Your your uh, uh, soundproofing in your room is coming along, Ben. It looks lovely. <laughs> yeah, have, have you guys not seen this before? Maybe just sometimes this cover hangs down and just like blocks it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't remember the black square. It's pretty much complete. Um, you know, it's not perfect by any means. It's interesting. The thing they recommend you do is like the corners are most important. So there's like a lot oh. in the corners, and then the bottom corners you put these like base traps in. Technically speaking, I think they say it's not soundproofing, but it's um, 
acoustic treatment. So like these things don't actually like block sound out. What they do is they kind of absorb the sound to stop like excess echoes, basically. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. My only update is I've got a three foot tall pile of dirt outside my office. Oh, bathroom renovations happening and they dug into the foundation. Jeez. I have to go do laundry at my in-laws every weekend. (laughs) (laughs) What a life you lead. Yeah, every day at 7 a.m. I'm woken up to hammering and drilling and buzz saws. They're just awesome. trying to give you the big city feel. <laughs> uh, well, if there isn't anything huge to talk about, um, we can just go into it. You know, I think I kind of like volunteered the last time we talked to to do a little research into this. So I did do yeah. that. Then now it's been a little bit since I did it. So I'll have to kind of read it as I go. But but yeah, so I think, you know, Blixa, you suggested doing this uh, series. I don't know if, how it got on your radar or um, <laughs> For real. what your impression of it was it going in. <laughs> oh, so it uh, popped up in my uh, YouTube algorithm. There's a few uh, anime sort of analysts that I really respect. And Cat Soup came up and it didn't seem like the usual thing that they would cover. Usually I'm used to seeing things like like Berserk, like a deep dive into the psychology of all that. Uh, but this was like a very chibi kind of fun looking cat anime. So I watched a little bit of it and quickly gathered that this was not like just a cute little fun romp, that it was kind of disturbing and psychologically deep. So I'm like, oh, this seems like something Ben and Alex would be into. <laughs> Trying to so. think, I think I heard about it on a, a podcast a while back, and I'd watched. Um, there's this kind of series of shorts called Nekojiro Gekijo. So Nekojiro Theater, and so that's like these um, 27 two-minute shorts that was like interstitial cartoon on a like variety comedy, basically. Mm-hmm. And then I'd seen this movie, so this is Nekojiro So which that literally means Nekojiro grass. And I was like looking up, I was like trying to figure mm. out what that meant. And I guess it comes, so, so in Japanese, laughter is warao. And so people mm-hmm. will type a W to express laughter. Like that's like the like haha basically in internet mm. slang. And then if you laugh a lot, you put a bunch of W's next to each other. And Looks they say like that ends up, yeah, looking like grass. <laughs> <laughs> so then the the character for grass is kind of like, LOL or okay. ROFL or something oh, like cute. that. It's like you're laughing a lot. And and so this is, yeah, it's an OVA made. I guess both of these animes came out after the the creator died, but it's kind of oh. an homage to her. Uh, so she was born in the late 60s in a suburb of Tokyo. Um, and according to her Wikipedia in high school, she was obsessed with some Japanese new wave bands. Um, including there's one I couldn't find called Taco. So that's just bad SEO. But there's one you can find on Spotify called EP4. Um, and it's kind of very trippy, kind of experimental electronic music, um, but it's sort of jazzy and there's a lot of interesting sampling going on. So I think she was kind of like an artsy avant-garde kind of person her whole life and she was a manga fan and and liked the work of this guy Hajime Yamano um, who she kind of met through a friend of a friend but there's some story about how she just like showed up at his house unannounced um, 
And then in, in 1985, when she was 18 and he was 24, um, they got married together and, and she started kind of like helping him with his work, you know, like inking stuff and doing backgrounds and, and kind of helping him with some of this tedious stuff. But he was taken by the style of her doodles and kind of encouraged her to do something with him. And, and I think he kind of became the writer and she the illustrator for this series of, of manga called... Uh, Nekojiro Udon that was published in this magazine called um, Garo, which advertised itself as monthly eccentric comics. <laughs> so it was kind of like this alt comic. And, and those are kind of much more in the style of that, um, the Nekojiro theater, the shorts. So, mm, so it's mm. kind of like this juxtaposition of these really cute characters and then like really horrible things happening, you know, like <laughs> bullying and child abuse and murder and cannibalism. This is right up my alley. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So like the the very first thing in the series is basically this cat singing this annoying song. Tinkle, tinkle, pee, pee is the, <laughs> the translation <laughs> in English. And then tinkle like her pee. mom, like beating her in the head until, you know, like she can't do anything anymore. And, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff with kind of sentient life at different levels. So like insects versus cats versus humans versus pigs and um, oh. um, and, and kind of the the main character, Nyako, is supposed to be like a stand in for her. So she ended up writing some kind of like manga travel diaries where she used that character as as herself in them. Um, and I think kind of like the character, a lot of people thought she was very rude in real life. She would just tell people that they were like boring and annoying to their face and stuff like that. The, the one of her editors says that she was diagnosed as autistic. So it could be that that was a factor in that as well. Hmm. I don't know. It seems like she was a sort of unstable person. She'd stay awake for days at a time, work in our manga, and then sleep for long periods of time. But eventually, this manga got kind of trendy and, and popular, and she started getting kind of more and more work, but fed up with the work and, and was feeling like she was kind of compromising her vision and, you know, started kind of acting more erratically and saying stuff like that she wasn't afraid of death um, <laughs> or, you know asking people if they had ever thought about just dying. And um, in 1998, at the age of 31, she ends up committing suicide, um, kind of like at the peak of her popularity. And again, like before these animated adaptations. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of, I think her husband, you know, maybe for very good reasons, didn't want to kind of reveal too much about her suicide. Um, you know, I think she even explicitly said, like, don't talk about why I died. And I think that kind of also maybe led to some of her kind of cult popularity. Mm. Definitely kind of like a unique eccentric voice that then struck a nerve with a lot of people, it seems like. Mm -hmm. So what we're about to watch is a like like a memorial to who she was. I think so, and I think it's um, I, you know I read maybe just the first two or three of the comics in her Nekojiro Udon, and definitely this movie picks up kind of after the first comic, and at least incorporated parts of the the third comic. So I think there are 
you know, maybe some scenes and, and images in this that are kind of directly taken from, from her comics as well. Mm-hmm. What was the show on MTV with all the weird animate not, or animated shorts, like liquid television or something? Was this the thing that like started Beavis and Butthead and, yeah. and Flux and that stuff? Yeah. And that's kind of what my impression of the Nekojiro thing was. Yeah, it, it said that she kind of exemplified and maybe helped start this thing that they called uh, Abuna Kawai, Abunu, Abun, Abunu Kawai, I think, which then it like literally means like scary, cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of combining okay. some horror elements and cute stuff. Okay. But the manga also has a lot of this kind of trippy, otherworldly, drug trippy or almost like spiritual or or something mm. like that like kind psychedelic, of yeah sure. like psychedelic and kind of like esoteric and you know it's like people talking and their speech bubbles are full of hieroglyphics and <laughs> stuff like that it's yeah it's very yeah it's interesting that sounds awesome any other prefaces do we want to go in and watch this thing yeah i think we're good to go okay cool yeah has everyone uh, got that up i've got mine. yeah cool Last thing, just because I don't think we mentioned it, is that, uh, you know, this is basically like a silent film. I mean, it I mean, it has amazing music, amazing sound effects, and there's a little bit of dialogue, but they kind of made an interesting choice of showing it like it would be in a manga and, and actually kind of just writing out the, the words. All right, so we'll do three, two, one, play. So three, two, one, play. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So like, what if this is how the uh, Evangelion rebuild movies ended? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, some of this is how Evangelion ended. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that kind of thing of like having these characters in this world with gears. That's kind of like, you know, the fates cutting the string of life. Mm. Oh, wow. There's so much going on. I love the soundtrack, though. What a wonderful kind of ending gag, like visual, you know, and one that may not track for that much longer because static isn't really something we see on screens anymore. Yeah. I feel like static is compelling enough. It will exist, but like people will be like, that's the thing from the ring or, you know, like it'll be something that you just see through media versus experience the real thing yeah i'm always fascinated by those things that are those phrases and things that have become one step removed though like roll up the window Mm -hmm. you know nobody has a roll up window in their car anymore or very few (laughs) or like that the save icon is like a floppy disk forever absolutely yeah oh that was sad wait what's sad i i think the kid just died and that was it which one the younger one the older one the younger sibling was on the quest to find the other part of the soul. I don't think he actually succeeded. <laughs> oh. I mean, the kid went to the bathroom and then everything else ceased to exist. And now we just have this like sad music and the home video kind of thing <laughs> that you would show at someone's like funeral, <laughs> like a memorial. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. I just really like the ending visuals because I felt like it was just saying goodbye to the audience. Almost like a theater going dark. I'm going to side with mm-hmm. Blixa here. I think this is a something tragic has happened. Because the last ending sounds were the sound of the wind chime that 
denoted that the deity was coming to take her soul to begin with. Mm. And the light flickering happened when she was dying as well. Mm. Yeah. I think there is an interpretation of this where kind of, yeah, like one or both of them have died right at the beginning. So with the the brother, you know, he kind of falls in yeah. the tub playing with the the toy. And, and there is kind of this incongruous scene where like after they've like run out, like after he's gone out and gotten the the soul back of the sister, there's a shot of the dad coming and like seeing him in the mm-hmm. tub. Oh. And then it like goes to white and then they run in and he gives the soul back to the sister and the story kind of continues differently from that point. Gets gets a lot more surreal. Mm. I'm just kind of scrolling back to see the thing Ben was referencing. Yeah. Uh, let me find the flower at the beginning because I'm almost certain I saw the flower before they... I don't think they even needed to go on the journey. Like, it was there. Yeah, it is. 545. And I think the thing I'm talking about is maybe like 440. Okay, so let's try to parse this out. So there are there is a cat family, okay? And this cat family yeah. has a father and a mother and two children, an older sister and a younger brother, right? Okay, and so the older sister gets sick, has a fever. Well, so so this is where I think maybe a little bit of knowledge from the, the manga helps mm. out. So the first episode of the manga, the older sister is singing this annoying song and the mom hits her on the head and then we see her with an ice pack on her head so i think this is supposed to be her recovering from the beating basically oh geez (laughs) okay um and dying from the head trauma and then um you know this godlike figure comes and and is leading her away and then we see, you know, we see the brother cat, you know, he falls into the tub, he gets out and like he tries to go talk to the mom, tries to talk to the dad. And mm. it's kind of either they're neglectful and they're ignoring him or maybe that's kind of another hint that he's like a ghost or something like that. I, I, I guess we see him first fall into the tub right at the very, very beginning when he's playing with that truck. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. So the older sister is recovering from this head wound and the younger brother presumably drowns in the tub. And in this in-between state, this out-of-body experience, that's why this vision quest can go on, right? Like this is why this mythological journey can happen because the older sister's soul is in distress and then the younger brother either dies or is in this. Yeah, maybe it's in the process. Yeah, exactly. It's in the process of drowning. Maybe that makes sense. And, and then I guess then maybe the dad sees him and revives him or whatever. There, there is a lot of stuff of kind of like living beings being sort of inanimate objects like to the thing of like he pulls the, there's the inflated squeaking cats that he kind of pulls the plug on one of them as he's like running by which i don't know if that's like him in the spirit realm just like killing someone (laughs) or something like that i don't know what to make of the older sister what do you mean i i I think the younger sibling Uh that drowned in Uh the tub i think this is just like jacob's ladder like the death dream yeah but is that just part of the death dream? Like knowing like, oh, my sister was sick and going to die. So I'm going to go save her soul from the Buddha. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, okay. Or Indra or whatever. It's this blue skin deity, which makes me think Indian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's kind of endearing. Like someone's last moments of consciousness, that's where it goes. Uh, absolutely. And then, you know, you think about a kid, like the, the big locale they go oh, to initially God. is the circus, right? And yeah. uh, a kid, that would be like a huge event in their life. And so a lot of imagery would have been... Uh, And like symbolism would have been like hard blown into their brains when they had such an exciting time at the circus. And so that stuff like unfolding as the symbols in this fever dream or death dream, like that's really awesome. And the fact that they keep coming up the whale again and again, the wave over and over. Well, so he's already kind of had one dream or this spiritual thing, but then, then after that kind of the, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So here's what I thought was kind of cool. In the act one, I guess, uh, this death occurs and like the sort of winds of death are going through the neighborhood and you see the husk of the cicada and it makes the wind chime go. Like that sort of becomes our signal that death is there. Uh, And then I think it's that uh, moving camera scene, that tracking shot when we first see the flower, but there's like the spider in the web. Oh, there's a spider in the web. The flower is a trap. Sorry, good. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like culturally specific imagery that's lost on me, but like when they get to the circus, like mutilating oh. a body for entertainment, like that seemed like a social commentary mm. to me. The thing they threw in the water was deep fried tofu. Mm. Uh, and then the last thing they do before getting back to the home at the end is buying more deep fried tofu and they buy it with two coins, <gasps> which I don't know if this translates culturally but it seems like the coins at the river sticks yeah, or the ferryman that you place over people's eyes right yeah so in the in the scene in the circus scene the souls are the same composition at least they look the same as the word bubbles that create the other things ah. they have the same white cloud like form and they kind of mirror structurally or like the outline like the shaman also looks like the soul like has this white almost uh bowling pin shape Mm -hmm. which i don't know if this is super common in like japanese uh uh, symbolism but in the souls games there's often a a human effigy or a humanity or something like that and it looks exactly like that image the like vaguely human Mm -hmm. shape almost like a bowling pin Mm -hmm. so what does the butterfly mean so like yeah. the first time I notice it, it's the trapeze artist that gets dismembered. She has like a butterfly headdress. The first time the butterfly appears is when the kid throws the deep fried tofu into the well. Okay. There's a butterfly on yeah. the head of his sister. And after that point, you see the butterfly on the trapeze artist gets put back together. From then on, I believe the only other butterflies are mechanical. What is and the mechanical mean? ones lead the way to the flower that they were looking for. Mm. Yeah, so we see a metal butterfly as soon as they get on the boat after the circus. And then kind of right near the end, when they're in that kind of like metal world, we see there's like a bunch of metal butterflies there kind of being born or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of big thoughts in my head all at once. <laughs> I was just thinking about like the sort of grotesque depiction of living things and like the sort of irreverent like consumption like cycle of life thing that they were doing at the midway point there's a lot of consumption 
Yeah. There's a lot of eating. Yeah. Especially the, what really disturbs me is the pig, right? Like the, the normalization mm -hmm. of eating this animal and then the cruel irony of feeding part of the animal back to itself. Mm -hmm. So is this saying like, this is how life is, or is it like a criticism of the way we regard life? I mean, I could definitely see it as a criticism of the way that like we interact with the whole of life because... Mm -hmm animals are pets or even you know the animals that people raise for food uh they still are interacting with human society not nearly to the same capacity in the same degree like the same angle but they are uh like separate conscious beings that are interacting with this society uh but they are not afforded the same kind of uh respect and rights that humans would obviously mm. even though they are shown to be in this like almost comparable in like the pig can speak the cats can speak they're all social beings yeah that makes the the choice of cats and pigs very interesting because one is pets <laughs> right it's like well they're not humans but we keep we let them stay around and they have certain <laughs> yeah. abilities and we, rights we don't eat them but we'll eat the pigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's something too with the fact that, you know, the the pig catches all these fish that they could eat, but they don't eat the fish. And like the pig is the one that's like walking them across the desert, right? And it's exhausting itself doing this thing. But like the, the cats are more interested in being cruel to the pig than they are kind of even to their own, you know, their own survival. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe maybe that's, you know, some sort of commentary about kind of like the cruelty of, of humans and how we self-sabotage as like a species by, I don't know, caring more about fucking over people we hate than kind of doing what's best for us. Oh, yeah. And like you said, Lily, okay. this consumption, like not just eating, but there is you know, the pig carrying them across and then getting run down is a consumption of that, of a pig. And the and then even their next mount, the water elephant that they get, it's the same thing, right? They run it so long and so hard that it, they can't even refuel it. They can't even rewater it. It just, it's consumed. It can't be sustained. I was just going to say too, like before we get any of this stuff with like the animals, we, you know, the one of the first images we see of kind of like, violence is like a human woman getting yeah dismembered dis dismembered for entertainment mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and uh you know i mean she is put back together we we never see her kind of like move after mm -hmm. <laughs> or anything but um you know I, I think especially because this is kind of a movie in honor of a woman who died and, and maybe kind of in some ways was worked to death mm -hmm. hmm. i think there's something to that yeah, you know, the nature of that whole scene being for an audience made me feel like uh, the messages were more criticism oriented rather than like making a statement, which I feel like has come up in most of the animes that we were that we cover, mm -hmm. you know, like the sexual content in Darling and the Franks. Was it like promoting this kind of sexuality or was it criticizing? Mm hmm. I mean, definitely there's some criticism there because like like you said, the circus is this performance, it's in front of an audience, and the the shaman, the god thing is also uh, an easy parallel for the artist, for the animator, right? Because they're taking these things, words, and making them into something. Like by their hand, their effort, they create 
you know, symbols that people recognize as cats and humans and whatever, and they're birthing this new world into being. And I didn't think about that. The The first act is the woman being uh, dismembered and then put back together. And it is this like mm-hmm. consumption of a conventionally attractive female form, which is very, very common, right? Mm-hmm. I like the chicken in the circus scene. Yeah, the sky chicken? The sky chicken. Because it is literally worked to death for the consumption of the audience. Oh. Like it is suffering in order to produce pretty things for the audience to consume. Right. Yeah. Like I think the shaman is like like the ideal mm. or the idealized form of like creation. Like they tell them what they want, we create those things, they enjoy them. Mm. But then you see how the circus it does it where they work it doesn't just work it it will beat you down force you to spit out these like symbols or image imagery that isn't super complex but like it's pretty enough that people take it and they like it mm-hmm. and all all it does is cause you suffering to the point you just die like mm-hmm. you, you burst mm. you swell up and you burst but there's a storm brewing inside of this thing. Like, what is that? I think that's caused from like that's like the stress that it's yeah. under. I got mm. kind of the feeling too of it's like you know it's um, people trying to control something that you know it, like I think they're kind of intentionally causing these clouds to form and the lightning, right? Like that's part of the show, but it's kind of like you know they're trying to harness something that they don't know the the danger of or something and then it gets out of control and and kind of it's kind of like you know i think it often in anime it's easy to go to like the like atom bomb metaphor or something like that right but it's like people trying to control nature to make it do what they want and then they end up destroying the whole mm-hmm. circus in the process yeah and eventually we do get that atom bomb imagery but man i i hadn't thought about the uh the order of things because yeah the sh- like you said lily the shaman is making these uh it's like an idealized form of it is making these things wholesale from inside of him right and then immediately after we see well no they don't actually just come from inside us there's a source for all these things. We are regurgitating because the clouds look very similar to the thought yeah. word forms of this thing. And you're like, you're not getting it from nowhere. You're getting it from the world. And we're overworking the world. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So can someone help me make sense of yeah. this? That the shaman later is like on this cosmic level, like holding up the whole planet and turning the wheels of time back and forth. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that was about. And then the shaman was obsessed with half of this melon thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's trying to consume this like rocky melon. And I don't know what this melon is yet. It looks kind of like an island. It also kind of looks like a space shot of the earth. So so the first time we see the melon earth thing, so that's after they've kind of done their journey through the desert. You know, they reach the edge of the earth and it's kind of, feel like that's sort of a shot I've seen in movies. It's almost like, um, well, no, I guess maybe like the Norse myth is you go out into the ocean and then the kind of the ocean ends, right? But here it's just like this huge cliff at the edge of the earth. And then we see our, you know, God shaman figure. And to me, it looks like he's cutting a cabbage in half that that's like the outside of the melon (laughs) is like a big cabbage head. So a couple other things to note 
Um, first, the way the cutlery is placed indicates to me that they're done. Mm-hmm. It's not that they've eaten the earth. It's that they are finished when the earth is as it is. Mm. You know, it is really weird. Like the way this story progresses, it's like dream logic. Like you don't see a linear path from scene to scene. I don't know if I'm seeing this right. It looks like there's a poster of the shaman on the way after they buy the deep fried tofu. God, this thing's riddled with little Easter eggs. Yeah, it's really amazing. Oh, and when they're eating, it's the fish with the bones. And, and so with the after we see the kind of sushi fish run off, kind of the transition to the desert is we see that thing on the beach and then the kid pokes at its eye or like eats its eye. And then we see the parents there and it's like the beach trip from the the end of the movie, it looks like Mm -hmm. kind of like a flashback. And then, you know, all of a sudden now the the flood is over and the water is drained and they're in the desert. Mm. It's always very interesting. It's kind of, you watch something this dense and like so much of it just like, at least for me, it doesn't stick in my memory. And then I watch back and I'm like, oh, did I really watch this before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the beating the pig to death is uh, more ominous now that you've told us about the prequel to this or the the opening scene where the, the older sister has been beaten with uh, by the mother. Yeah, Because like you said, that's the only thing the older sister can do is beat the pig. And you're like, oh, yeah, because that's what just happened to her. <laughs> yeah, or I thought it was like, oh, it comes so naturally to her that even in this half diminished state, that's like the one thing she can do is be cruel to the pig yeah. still. Like, Another question. Yeah. Um, the scene at like 1450, okay. right when the flood is about to recede, it's like the skeletal fish, like the excrement is dripping. Uh-huh. And then we get this really, it's like the most highly rendered like animation scene in this film. Like you see the cosmos, yeah. right? There's all these galaxies and in, like, I assume galaxies being born and destroyed and the fish with this weird look on its face has this like infinite excrement thing is bubbling and dripping yeah. uh what's being said here <laughs> i mean that's just cycle i mean it kind of reminds me of like the madonna and the whore of babylon <laughs> yeah 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 the the taboo uh, that which is uh sacred yeah. and profane mm. and then they eat its eyeball what <laughs> and the mother scolds the brother for that yeah she's back the parents are back you know, so so they go through the desert. I think we haven't really talked about the the creepy house in the desert. So they see this house. There's kind of this giant man. We have music that's both kind of creepy, but it's not super creepy or like overtly creepy. Mm-hmm. But kind of from the beginning, you get this sense that something is going to go wrong in this house. Mm-hmm. We see him being kind of cruel to these birds or these birds that are like, you know, we have a bird with high heels and then a bird that's kind of like a pet. But, um, you know, they they both become food. Yeah, this thing's definitely concerned with the ethical consumption or unethical consumption of animals the reality of eating meat. When it, it's kind of with the animals that are pets versus animals that are food, it's kind of interesting because then birds are both. Yes. And so we see this guy, you know, his bird on the leash and then, I don't know, then eating that same bird. Yeah, and in this strange, cruel fashion, right? Like, it's so interesting to see him do it because he pours what looks like water at first, but then lights the bird on fire. So you're like, oh, he doused him in oil. Ugh. But this... 
man in the suit, like when he walks the kids in, it's past this gallery of horrors. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting at these thrones that are the same type of chair that the shaman is sitting at at the end. It's also the fact that the person that was trying to eat them, consume them, was mechanical. Mm -hmm. Which I don't really understand why this machine was wearing, like... Stilettos? BDSM. BDSM gear, yeah. (laughs) Because the consumption is, like, uh, sexual. So the sequence of events is really interesting there. It, uh, com- he comes back on with this BDSM stuff on, and then he goes to cut one the, the little brother's head off. And the little brother's head ducks beneath the water and doesn't get cut off, right? But he closes his eyes and just leans forward in this pose of release, of ecstasy, and doesn't see mm-hmm. that the he didn't get what he wanted to. He's acting as if he did get that death yeah. moment that feeling of relief right right and the fact that he's a mouse that, like yeah, there's the mouse. disney mouse. angle but then there's also like their cats right so it's this bizarre reversal mm. of like oh. you know to terrify them to like reverse their predation you're like well what if the mice ate you that's interesting yeah and this thing they find in the desert is that supposed to be like the fried tofu that they had what thing in the desert like, so after they leave the house with the guy who tries to eat them, uh-huh. they find this thing in the desert, pull it out, and then there's the water underneath. Uh-huh. Oh, it looks like a mushroom, actually, when he pulls it out, and then it shatters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The elephant. Because that's what he asks for at the circus, right? It's mm-hmm. a golden elephant. Yeah. So the the main character definitely has a preoccupation with megafauna like uh whales and <laughs> elephants and water oh that i mean but the water imagery makes sense over and over right because they're drowning hmm. and mm-hmm. in fact then yeah when he gets the elephant at first he's kind of like back in the water mm-hmm. like drowning it is kind of so it's just continuing the animal theme I, you know i guess elephants and whales are his biggest land mammal and biggest water mammal mm-hmm uh i'm gonna have to say that it's not a cabbage that's getting cut in half it's really cabbagey it, to me <laughs> uh, to me that looks like the planet with its oceans dried definitely hmm. yeah the i i think it is because previously we had seen the flood happens and then the the shaman lifts the earth out of the water and that's when the flood recedes and it looks the same size as this thing we're seeing now. So yes, it has to be the earth uh, after desertification. Have you guys seen cabbages though? I have. It does. It, it definitely <laughs> resembles a cabbage. It also resembles a little bit a melon, um, like a blood melon. Cause like you open it up and then it's like all goopy inside, which is very gross. I know I already asked this and I'm sorry if you answered and I forgot, but like, why is the shaman turning the hands of time back and forth? Well, the it's it's it dropped the melon, the 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 second half of the earth, mm-hmm. and it, when it turns it forwards, while well, the second half of the earth clogs the hands of time, and so the shaman changes it, like resumes it to unclog it, and then misses it trying to reach for it, so he has to reverse it to try to get another chance. Uh, I mean, symbolically, I have no idea, but that is the that is the, <laughs> the that is the in in logic in in world logic reason sequence of events yeah. spot on, Lily. Okay, why was the shaman cutting the planet in half to eat it? 
I mean, it's consumption again. It's like consumption at the highest level, like the macro level. Yeah. What's weird is it's is is the consumption that happens from this god causes the earth to revert to its previous state. Right. I think it's also interesting that it happens right when they get to the edge of the world. So it almost like you got to the edge of the map in like a video game or something. And then this mm. glitch happened and <laughs> I, I don't know if they know, were like time stops. I don't know something. if they were like in the edge so much as in the middle. So like, mm. let's say we, let's say they were on the equator mm-hmm. and the God cut on the equator. Now all yeah. of a sudden there's an edge. Ah, but, but we see them at the edge before we see him cut it, I guess, right? Is that, so I don't, like, I, they, it falls apart after they cut. Yeah, but but they, they get to the edge of the desert and then they see the ocean and these like kind of weird creatures kind of at the edge of the world. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. So, but the, um, the, like this piece of art, if it is the melon, if it is the world, it is created for consumption, right? And... It looks like the god, the shaman, the artist is going to consume it, but it gets away from him. Like, it's not really his to keep to himself. Like, it's out in the world now. And as for, like, uh, destroying the world and that creating the new thing, like, I think that's just, like, the nature of art and cycles. Like, the old thing has to go away in order or be consumed and reborn or something to create the new thing. Uh, they don't come from things that are wholesale. Like, no, there are no new ideas under the sun, as they say. Um, it's all combinations of older ideas. Uh, I mean, it seemed to me like the great and powerful being didn't have a lot of, lot of reverence for the experience on this planet. Oh, I just realized the woman with the tears jumping in front of a train. Oh, God. What? <gasps> Killing herself? Yeah. I think so. I thought it was like a factory or something, but I think that's that's a train. I know yeah. this is morbidly curious, but do we know how her suicide happened? I don't. So, in the order of events, uh-huh. the chicken is overworked to the point where it bursts and causes the flood of the earth. Uh-huh. The god takes the earth out of the water and in so doing, removes all of the water. Uh-huh. The god then cuts open the earth, stops time, reverses it, trying to get the half second half of the earth back, gets it back, does something, we're assuming devours it, and then at, at that state, the cat is able to get the earth, the flower for the sister, and we see that they are finished eating, and the earth is back to its original form of like water and everything. To me, it's like, I feel like somehow... The stuff that the cats are doing, it's like in parallel to like the stuff that the shaman god guy is doing. I would agree with that. So so when I was just looking back at the part with the the tear, like the woman probably committing suicide, there's this tear and, and kind of right when the cat smashes that tear, that's when time starts moving backwards mm-hmm. and that other stuff is happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess to me, that makes me feel like maybe that's the the creators like being like, if only we could have done something, you know, like go back in time and oh. cure this woman's sadness or, or something. Oh yeah. Because like the cat takes the tear and like destroys it. Right. 
And like, that's something, you know, if only it was so easy, if only you could yeah. like punch your loved one's depression. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Like, it's like wishing you could turn back time. Yeah. Or I guess it, sorry. So it doesn't, at first it doesn't reverse time, but it sends time super fast. And mm-hmm. then that God is the one that then reverses time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So every time we get a close up of like the gears of time, it's like people. Uh, I don't remember the name of the image of like humans like under the weight of like this crushing force, but capitalism. Yes, <laughs> uh, that, that's what it looks like. It does. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, the machinery is made of people. So, yeah, it all comes down to the woman. Yeah, I mean, symbolically, it's a pretty strong read that the woman is the author, right? Is uh, Chiomi? Uh, yeah. I give this like an homage to uh, the body of her work. Mm-hmm. So to these cats, like she would be God. Absolutely. Huh. I'm mesmerized. I keep watching the scene over yeah, and over it's again. It's fantastic. Thinking some, something new is going to hit me. Yeah. Well, we are coming up to about 10 o'clock. It has been a really awesome ride. And this has been a fabulous conversation topic. Um, <laughs> does anybody have any last thoughts, summing up things, last things they caught while watching back through it again? Well, so one part we didn't talk much about, just in case this prompts anything. So then we do have this like kind of metal world right at the end. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of this has been about kind of, you know, animals and kind of different alive things and kind of the different ways we treat them. And, and then there's also been all this kind of machinery symbol throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about the idea. I, I didn't pose it because I wasn't sure. I feel like there's a lot of context that I'm missing for mm. this. And I, yeah. I want, I would want more research to, before I said like, this is what I believe this is supposed to represent. But with the mechanical machine attempting to literally consume them, um, I don't know how technology was in the time that she was alive, like it, it, like at, at the point where this was made, but there's a lot of thought of media being something that consumes us. Mm-hmm. We think we're consuming it, but it's consuming us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. So then, and then kind of the very last thing we have, right, is they turn on the TV. And then when they turn on the TV, they all blink out. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think there is this kind of like death reading of the whole thing. And then there's like another one of like kind of maybe like a daydreaming kid or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's kind of like, oh, his family is like actually paying attention and interacting with him. And then they start watching TV and now he's like <laughs> back alone in the world because like no one's paying attention to him again. Yeah. And you know, it's maybe more of a, a daydream or kind of like the adventure he's gone on in his imagination that... Um... Yeah, that's so sad because he's telling the story and they're interacting with each other. And we see the mother very specifically give the older sister a bowl of rice. So like they are interacting. It's not like the other scenes where the parents are ignoring them or unaware of them. And then uh, the, the main character goes to the bathroom and that's when they turn the TV on. It's so tragic. So I was just reading one like kind of happy ending take on the story. Mm. The younger sibling who drowns in the bathtub, uh, their spirit is able to go on and help the sister who has the head injury. Mm-hmm. Mm. So like in this child's death, they're able to save their sister. And that's why everything resolves the way it does at the end. Cause like that spirit journey is over. Mm. Like 
the sister is restored. Oh, and those so. three are still together because they all blink out together. And then yeah. the sibling comes back and he is alone. Like if with that reading, like the younger sibling would then be able to pass on like it's doesn't have any more unresolved business, I guess. Mm. All right. I'm going to stick with that. Okay, cool. That's, that's a happy ending. <laughs> I like canon. We love it. Okay. We love canon happy endings here. All right. So Lily, if one of the listeners enjoyed cat soup, <laughs> is there something you might recommend that they would check out after cat soup? I'm trying to think. Of, I've heard Fooly Cooly is supposed to be somewhat like this. Um, we love it. I have not seen it for myself yet, though, so I can't say. Um, I'm trying to think of any trippy anime I've seen. And honestly, Courage the Cowardly Dog sounds more <laughs> more like a, a better representation. Yeah. My favorite is the uh, the Barber episode. An uncle who or a cousin who comes to town and it narrates it like a Edgar Allan Poe poem. Mm. And he keeps wanting to shave courage because he's been naughty. (laughs) (laughs) I thought of one more. Have any of you seen Space Dandy? Yes. I love Space Dandy. Uh, Shinshiro Watanabe. There are some episodes of Space Dandy that probably qualify. Okay. Uh, the Vegetable Planet episode. That's the that's the exact episode I'm thinking of. Excellent. And I think we we also mentioned the Adventure Time episode called Food Chain. The caterpillar eats the. Then the bird eats the caterpillar. Then the big bird eats the Dude, little. That the has big. the same animation director that did this movie, and that guy Masaki Yuasa. Um, you know, maybe the thing that's easiest of his to watch might be Devilman Crybaby on <laughs> Netflix. And, you know, I think that has some of the similar, like, kind of grotesque stuff and a lot of, like, kind of mythological imagery that's, you know, seems yes. almost like Indian or some ancient epic kind of a thing. And let me just modify what you said. So when you say it's easy to watch, let's say that it's easy to access, <laughs> easy to access but maybe yes. difficult to watch. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. for that particular anime, if you're not a fan of boat body horror, I would take I would not I would I would not watch Ooh. it. But if you're fine with that, it's a it's a wild ride. Just I know I know a number of people who are squeamish when it comes to Bobby Homer, so I want to preface that one. <laughs> That's probably fair. I think I'm too uh, I'm too jaded. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll start us off. Pen, pen, pals. I couldn't do it. (laughs) All right. It's a thought that counts.